0: Welcome to Harvest Mission Community Church. You are listening to one of our sermons. If you have your Bibles, please turn to Numbers chapter 13, Numbers chapter 13. We'll start from verse 25 to the end of the chapter. If you don't have a Bible, it's okay. You can just kind of read on with somebody next to you. But we also want to encourage you to download the church app. All the notes and everything is there so that you can follow along. And uh, I wanted to, as you're turning to Numbers chapter 13, I wanted to start off, and I'm wondering how many of you have heard of the trust fall? Anybody know what that is? Can, can you raise your hand? Right? Some of us, well, most of us. And I'm wondering how many of you, you were the person that actually fell. Okay? Some of you are like, no, I didn't want to fall because I don't trust those guys. But uh, some of you know, that the more you trust in the people who are supposed to catch you, the more you're able to just freely fall backwards believing that those people will catch you. And what happens when they don't catch you? Or maybe you're a little bit bigger than you thought and they were a little bit weaker than you thought and they don't catch you. And so what I wanted to do is just show this really quick video and uh, it, it, it's a little bit funny I, some of you might have seen it it literally went viral because it was just hilarious but let's watch this together and this is what happens when a trust fall fails uh, <laughs> how crazy is that? Uh, this is also a good lesson on communication that you got to tell them to fall backwards not forward I don't know about you but I think this person will never trust these guys ever again I think in some ways this kind of describes many of us in this room, especially when we talk about the topic of trust and of faith. I think for some of us, we've been burned so many times from people and even false expectation from God that we kind of conjured up in our minds that it's so easy that now we're at a point where we don't trust anybody but ourselves, because we've been hurt too many times. I think for some of us, we think to ourselves, it's better to be in control of my situation than to trust somebody, let alone trusting God, because I'm not sure if they're going to be able to bring the right results or what I want to see happen in my life. And I think even in our relationship with God, we come to realize that some of the things that we have prayed for some of the things that we have hoped for. There are many of us in this way, uh, in, in, in this room that we have come to the realization that those things have not come to pass. Some of you are still praying right now for some of those things. I really believe that life is a journey of faith. It's a journey of trust. Even when I think about Many of us who actually came, I'm part of the church plan team to be part of this church, to start this church. Uh, It it was a journey of faith for all of us. There are people who gave up six-digit figures to come here to start this church. Uh, There are people who maybe were at a crossroad. They could have chosen different things, but they heard the voice of God or they felt that God led them, and here they are. And as many of you know, when you have to make some important decisions, there are a lot of things that you have to give up, you have to surrender. Good things. Because you believe by faith and you trust in God that he's leading you and guiding you. As I think about the fruit of the faith of some of these people as we came, uh, look around you, this, this is the fruit of it. People have come to know Christ. We have seen many baptisms. We have seen many people, their lives have been touched and transformed. So many who have gone to church all their lives but never personalized their faith. It was almost like they had a terabyte of Christian information in their brain. And they, as they encountered God, it was downloaded into their hearts. And now they're never the same. There have been people who have really experienced even the purpose in life. And they've discovered what it is that God is calling them to do because of this church. And so oftentimes in this journey of faith, you don't know what's going to happen. You just got to trust in Him. But when you do trust in Him and you see the fruits, you realize this is the reward of putting Christ as the most important thing in your life, that even all your direction or indecision is directed towards Him and Him alone. We're finishing off our series, Make It Count. And those of us who have joined us for the last three some weeks, you know that as we talked about this theme in part one, We talked about the importance of relationships and making relationships count, really learning how to care and commit to people, especially those of us who are here in Hong Kong for the very first time, whether you are a a new family or a single adult who's working here, and many of you who are students who have come here for the very first time to make life count and do it through relationships, and that's part of being in our community, biblical community. Hopefully all of you have joined a life group. Last week, we talked about in part two uh, to make the use of our time count and how we have to live with God's wisdom and within God's will and how that's so important for us because the time is short. We have to number our days knowing that this might be one day closer to passing away and then to see Christ face to face. I wanted to close out today in this series about making our faith count. And why is it so important that we live by faith? And how when we do that, we can make it count in this lifetime with the one life that we have. So before we begin, I want to first define faith according to what the Bible says. So we could all understand this word together. As many of you know, some of these passages is very clear. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, listen to what it says in the ESV. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things Not seen. So faith is really this sense of assurance. And there's an element of hope. Things that you are hoping for. And it builds into a conviction even though you don't see it. There are no evidences of things that might tell you otherwise. Let me give you other translations of this. And you will notice here in the New Living Translation it says this. What is faith? It is a confident assurance that what we hope for is going to happen. It is the evidence of things we cannot yet see. So you you get this idea of confident assurance, and it is the evidence. The New King James Version says this, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. So it's a substance this is this is the basis of what would help us to hope in the right things. So according to this verse faith is not just this wishful thinking, it's not positive attitude, it's not some kind of intellectual assent to some set of belief. But it is where we put everything and where we derive our conviction. These are the things that are important. So as Christ followers our faith must be rooted in God's promise and in the purpose, or excuse me, in the person of Jesus Christ, who does not change. Therefore, let me give us a biblical definition of faith. True biblical faith is this, to believe in God's word in order to live expectantly and obediently in the present with the patience to wait for God to fulfill his promises. Let me read it again. True biblical faith is to believe in God's word in order to live expectantly and obediently in the present with the patience, because we need patience if you really believe, to wait for God, not ourselves, but for God to fulfill his promises. Now, as you're thinking about this, the question becomes, why is it so important for Christ's followers? For believers to demonstrate faith on a regular basis. Why is this so important? Like, I think all of us can agree to this. But why is it so crucial and critical to your spiritual life that we actually live every single day on a regular basis? We live by faith. Well, the Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, if you jump down to a couple of verses, it says this. It says, and without faith, it is what? Come on, everyone read it impossible to please him for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him if I were to ask how many of you want to please God all I can say to you is well then it's very clear live by faith stop trusting in yourself stop calculating stop trying to figure everything out because you can't some things are out of your control some things are happening because he's trying to break you. He's trying to mold you. He's trying to refine you. He's trying to build a character likeness of Jesus Christ into your life. And so if you're all about pleasing God, if you're all about living for God, then this topic of making our faith count is very important. So let me talk about two things here to keep in mind if you want to continue to grow In living by faith, because once again, even though you don't see the evidence before you, we have to have this faith to believe and be confident that God is working in our lives. Let me talk about the first thing. The first thing that we see from Numbers chapter 13 is this, that our focus must be set on God, that our focus must be set on God. I think one of the first things that you learn, I, I I know in Asia and especially in Hong Kong, there are many people who do not drive. So I just want to see here how many of you actually know how to drive, not your little uh, remote control, drive a car, a real car. Can I see a raise hand? Go ahead. Wow, this is part of the reason why you have an international church. Many people. And those of you who didn't raise your hand, you're like, oh, I'm the only one. Uh, we have a handful. But as many of you know, if you have, because you have driven a car or you do drive a car, you know, when you first learn how to drive a car, what is the, one of the first things that they teach you? Well, uh, my wife and I, we had to be reminded of this because we were teaching our second son to get his license. And so my wife went ahead first and teaching my son just some driving skills. And then I came in and I had to teach him the, the real hard stuff. Parallel parking. And that takes some skill. And so we went to uh, different neighborhoods and tried to find two cars with an empty uh, block here. And there were some people who started looking out the window who are these Asian guys? You know, who are these two guys? But we were trying to teach him how to drive so he can pass his license before I went back to Hong Kong uh, during the summer. And one of the first things that they teach you about driving is what? Never look where? Right in front of your car, like towards the hood of the car, but to look way further behind. Do you know why? Because it is significant that you drive f- with your eyes focused on something that is several hundred yards or some meters away. Uh, just, just uh, One of the things you will notice is that If you look at this, the road is curving. And if all you do is look at the front of the car, what's going to happen is you're going to start swerving back and forth. It's a proven fact. But if you start looking way down and actually where the curve is happening, when you're able to look further down, you realize what you focus on is going to help you to stay steady. There's a lot of life application to this. And that's why focusing on something that is further is very important. I think for many of us right now, we are so focused on what is in front of us. The the next exam or that Monday meeting that you're going to be having or whatever it is right in front of us. And the more we begin to focus on the things that are in front of us, the more we're going to waver. And this is why, as I shared the first point, is that when, we focus, when our focus is set on God, we'll be able to stay the course. Uh, before we read this passage for today, I, I want to give you some context of the story. Because it will help us to understand what's happening. Because we're just going to read from verse 25 to 33. So I want to give you this whole chapter and what's happening so you can understand a little bit better. In this chapter, chapter 13, you will notice in verse 1 through 16 that God tells Moses to send some people to explore and to spy out the land, the land of Canaan, which was the promised land that God gave. And he, he, he promised unto them, this is the land that I will give unto you as an inheritance. And so Moses, what he did was he ended up picking 12 people from each of the 12 tribes, so a total of 12 people from the 12 tribes, so one from each tribe, to go on this mission to go into the promised land, to check it out, and come back and give a report. Now, the purpose of this mission was to strengthen the faith of the Israelite people. That God's not going to just give an empty promise without the reality of something coming to pass. That's just not how God works. When he says something in his word, he will bring it to fulfillment and to accomplishment and to uh, complete it. Now, it's important to note the sending of the spies. This is something that many of us might not think about, but I want you to note this. It's important to understand that the sending of these 12 spies was not commanded by God, but it was just a desire of the people. Now, pause here for a moment and think about this. God did not say, you must send 12 people into this land and survey it and come back and then have more faith. It was the people's desire. They're like, how in the world are we going to see this fulfillment of this promise? So God allowed it to happen rather than commanding it to happen. Now, why is all this important? Because if you look at Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 20 through 21, I'm going to read it for us. And on the yellow, you could just read along with me in one voice. Listen to what it says. Then I said to you, you have reached the hill country of the Amorites, which the Lord our God is giving us. See, the Lord your God has given you the land. Go up and take possession of it as the Lord, the God of your fathers, told you. Don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged. Then all of you came to me and said, let us send men ahead to spy out the land for us and to bring back a report about the route we are to take and the towns we will come to. So right here in Deuteronomy chapter 1, we see very clearly that God says, go and possess the land. Because I'm going to give it to you. This is the promise. But it's the people, as they were reminded, not to be afraid, don't be discouraged, but it was the people who came to Moses and said, "Can, can we send at least 12 people and have them check out the land first? And that's what happened. Now, Why is this important? As I was thinking about this, you have to keep in mind that God sometimes allows things to happen so that he can reveal the hearts of the people. Think about this for a moment. Not only does he give us free will to choose whatever it is that we're choosing, but there are times when he allows us To go in a certain direction to reveal our hearts. There are some of you in this room, your heart's desire is to make all the money in the world. And I'm going to tell you right now, before you even get started, you might enjoy life temporarily, but it will never bring you happiness. So before you get started, I'm telling you, yes, you will enjoy life, but it will never bring you happiness. And there are times when God allows you to get so engrossed in, because of, out of your own choice to do everything to be successful. And then after you have all this money and you've amassed all this amount with all these zeros in your bank account and something inside of you says, I feel empty and I'm all alone. That's the same way with some of you who are students. Your whole life you've been taught that you need to get good grades. So here you are getting all these good grades so you can get that good job. And as soon as you get that job, after a month or so, you realize something deep in your heart that this might not be the purpose that God has created you for. But God allows those things to come about because you made choices and he's going along with it because what he wants to show you in your heart is that none of these things can satisfy or fulfill you. How many times did God tell the Israelite people what was promised to them? The promised land. This is what I'm going to give to you. How many times did He tell them that it's going to be, it's going to be a land that's going to be beautiful? How many times did he mention all the various nations, the Amorites, the the Hittites, and Jebusites, and all these different people are going to be in this land, but I am your God, and I am promising unto you that this will be your land. That he will give victory over every single person. And we see this time and time again where God's people want evidence of things rather than to trust God I'm living by faith in His promises. Aren't we the same way? How many times does God tell us to trust in Him? Here you are reading your Bible and your soap in your Bible program, and you're just reading this, and as you're reading this, you're like, yeah, this is what God is telling me. And so often, we can live like that for about 10 minutes, but then we see what's right in front of us, and we focus on the situation, and then we start drifting. How many times when God tells you that I'm God, I'm in control, but then you want evidence, you want assurances, show me a sign. Do you know sometimes God doesn't show you a sign because that's what's really showing in your heart? Your lack of faith. So what he does is he waits until you can trust in him. Therefore, in verse 17 through 20, Moses gives instructions to the 12 spies to go and Check out the land. And then in verse 21 through 24, we see that the uh, 12 spies brought back this cluster of grapes and other fruits as proof of this extraordinarily goodness or the goodness of this land. And now we come to the passage that we're going to read. So I hope that gives you a little bit of context of what's happening. So let's start from verse 25, and I'm going to read all the way through verse 29. Listen to what it says. At the end of 40 days, they returned from spying out the land. And they came to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation of the people of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. They brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. And they told them, we came to the land to which you sent us. It flows with milk and honey and this is its fruit. However, the people who dwell in the land are strong and the cities are fortified and very large. And besides, we saw the descendants of Anak there, the Malachites dwelling, dwell in the land of the Negreb, the Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites dwell in the hill country and the Canaanites dwell by the sea along the Jordan. Just right away, we notice in verse 25 that this whole mission of spying out the land to scout it out, it took 40 days. It's kind of interesting that it took them 40 years to actually enter in. But here are these spies who are checking it out and they did it for 40 days. And then in verse 27, as we have read, the 12 spies come back and they confirm what was promised to them by God through the fruits that they brought back. And they said what? It flows with what? Milk and honey. Which is a kind of euphemism or term It talks about just the richness and the greatness of this land. Now, this is important. Listen to me carefully. They confirm the exact words that God said earlier in the book of Exodus. In Exodus chapter 3, verse 8, in the ESV, listen to what it says and read it in the yellow. And it says, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey. Here's God speaking his word that this is what it's going to happen. And then some books and chapters later, we notice that this is exactly what These twelve people said, it is a land flowing with milk and honey. They just confirmed the exact words that God promised unto them. Now there is something powerful when we are able to say the same thing that God says about us. Are you with me? I think the problem with so many of us is that we have to fight this battle within our minds and in our hearts. Because what Satan does is he plants a lie into your mind, a deceptive thought. And every single time when you think about that thought, you realize that is so contrary to what God has said about me. Especially in his word. Now because of what Jesus Christ has done. But what do we do? Instead of confirming and affirming exactly what God says about us. We believe in this lie that Satan has planted in our minds, and that's how we live our lives. If you know your Bible, just think about all the things that the Bible says who you are. Because it's not what you think it is or what you feel like it, but it's what God says. That we are his beloved. That we are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, people belonging to God, who called us out of darkness into his wonderful light. That we are new creations. That there's no no more condemnation in our lives. These are the words of God that he has spoken to us. But the problem is we do not affirm those things, so we start believing. It's like, oh, I made a mistake, so I must be a failure. No, you're a child of God who made a mistake or who failed in that particular thing. So you twist that enough or Satan twists enough and you believe it enough, and then you realize, yeah, I'm a failure. Or God can't forgive me for this. Or if someone knew, then they will never be able to accept me. When the Bible tells us that we are loved and accepted because of Jesus Christ. I'm wondering how many of us in this room, we are so focused on things around us that we forget that we should set our focus on God and God alone and what he has said about us. Now it's interesting at this point, it will seem obvious that the Israelites would so boldly now march into this promised land into their destiny that would be just a natural thought when you think about the story they send out the 12 they come back with all these graces. and they're like oh my goodness everything that god said is true it is flowing with milk and honey and they should be like okay then let's go but in verse 28 as we have read we see the word however everyone say however That word, however, in the New Living Translation is translated as but. The New King James Version says, nevertheless. I want you to know that these words, however, but, nevertheless, these are all speed bumps to our obedience and to our acts of faith. You're going... 80 kilometers an hour, and all of a sudden, you see a speed bump and you step on the brakes, because it's a but, or a however, or nevertheless. They are all like disruptors or agents of dissonance in our minds, because all of a sudden, this is true. God does love me. This is true that God is the provider. He will provide for me. This is true that he will protect me. He is the protector. We see this all throughout scripture. Then what happens? But I don't have a job. However, I like this other person too. I don't have to expound on that. You know what I'm talking about. We're trying to obey God, trying to love God, and all of a sudden, there is a speed bump. But, however, nevertheless, and then all of a sudden, there's this dissonance in our minds, and we're confused. We don't know what to do. We thought this is what God wanted us to do, and all of a sudden, there's an option. Then we don't know what to do. This is where I think many of us, were constantly questioning, rationalizing all of these words. I want you to pause here for a moment and take it from a different angle. Here's God telling you something or you think that it's God leading you somewhere and all of a sudden you see but, however, nevertheless and all of a sudden you start getting frightened, nervous, you want to take control. But do you know that these words can also be spoken by people whose perspective has been changed by God? Listen to me for a moment. I failed, but God never fails. Can I get a good amen to that? Like, man, I see all this junk and weaknesses. My personality stinks. No one likes me. Nevertheless, God loves me. I find it very interesting. Interesting. That there are times when some of us are going to the deep end, to the point where it's going to literally leave you all alone, and Satan will have his field day with you. And then somehow God intervenes, and you say, but, nevertheless, however. That's what Paul was saying even in Romans chapter 8. That we're more than conquerors. Even though all these things are happening, nevertheless, Nothing will separate us from the love of God. We saw this with Apostle Peter when Jesus told him to cast the nets into the deep after he caught nothing all night. So he already had a mindset of going something, doing something, focused on, there's no way. And then in Luke chapter 5, verse 5, listen to the NIV, it says this, Simon answered, Master, we worked all night Hard all night and haven't caught anything. Come on. There's that butt, That big old butt. But because you say so. I will let down the nets. Listen to the New King James Version. But Simon said, answered and said to him, Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. Put your word, I will let down the nets. So listen to me, not only do we know what we ought to do, but then situations cause us to say, but nevertheless, however, and we make excuses, we rationalize our sin. But the grace of God is that while we are in that moment of sin or going on that road that will lead to destruction, God speaks to us and he goes, but. Nevertheless, however. I believe when your focus is set on God and not on our circumstances, we're able to say these words, but God, nevertheless, I will. However, God is still God. What it comes down to is, do we trust God And are we focused on the right things? A.W. Tozer in his book, The Pursuit of God, writes this. Let the eye which sees everything in front of it and never sees itself. Faith is occupied with the object upon which it rests and pays no attention to itself at all. While we were looking at God, we do not see ourselves blessed, blessed riddance. The man who has struggled to purify himself and has had nothing but repeated failures will experience real relief when he stops tinkering with his soul and looks away to the perfect one. The problem with so many of us is that we are too focused on ourselves. That is where our focus We're focusing on ourselves. We're focusing on our situation. We are focused on so many other things but God. That's why you're stressed. That's why you're going through a state of depression. That's why you're so anxiety-filled. Some of you could not sleep last night because you were so anxious. Because you're focusing on yourself. You're making it all about yourself. And I'm telling you this morning, it is not about you. It's about God. So if we can set our eyes and set our focus on him, can you imagine what would happen? the object of the one that we focus on who is perfect will then deliver us, free us from whatever it is that you're facing in your life. For the 12 spies, they went into this land, they saw the obstacle of all these people and they gave reasons such as the people were strong, they had cities that were fortified, they are large, What else did they say? And the descendants of Anak, they're all there. These are all things that they just saw right in front of them, and they failed to look at God and what he has said in his word. But isn't it amazing that there were only two spies, as you know, Caleb and Joshua, came to a different conclusion. Now, can I ask you a question? How is it that 12 people saw exactly the same things, but they offered different options? Isn't that amazing? These 12 saw exactly the same thing, but only two saw something different. The answer is, it really depends on what our focus is set on. Caleb and Joshua, they decided to focus on God. These other 10 decided to focus on the obstacles in front of them. What we focus on will oftentimes determine what we are able to imagine as an outcome. Negative attitude. Small thinking mindset, lack of perspective, pessimism will always lead to a lack of faith. But when you think about God, when you think about who he is, when you think about what he has done in the past, and what he will continue to do right now, and what he will do into the future. When you understand, you get a glimpse and a vision of God, which oftentimes come through worship in our personal times with God, also corporate times like this. When we worship God, we realize, it's not about me. God, you're so much bigger than everything else in my life. And it is in that moment where you are able to then say, I trust in you. I have faith in you. You have delivered me in the past. You'll deliver me again. You provided me in the the past and you will provide once again. How about us this morning? When you face obstacles in your life, do you see it as an opportunity? What do you normally find yourself focusing in on when things get hard and out of your control? Is it yourself, your situation, or is it on God? Our focus must be set on God. And the last point is simply this. That not only must our focus be set on God, but our faith. It must be set on God and God alone. Let's close out with verse 30 through 33. Listen to what it says here. If I can find it. There we go. But Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, Let us go up and once... And there we saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak, who came from Nephilim, and we seemed to ourselves like grasshoppers, and so we seemed to them. By trying to quiet the people, we can assume that after hearing about what was mentioned by the other spies in verse 28 to 29, the people were scared. They were alarmed. Um... It's kind of interesting because, uh, I've been talking to some of you students and we've been hearing from some of you that your, your parents are so concerned about what's happening in Hong Kong. And it's frustrating you, isn't it? Can I get a good amen? Don't, don't know. Don't forget. It. Don't say amen. Okay. Cause some of your parents might be listening. Hi, hi. We love you. We love you in Jesus. But anyway, like just think about this for a moment. Like think about your friends. Think about some of your parents and. When when they see the stuff on the news, what do you th- what do they th- what do you think that they're thinking? World war, war, <laughs> three, smoke everywhere. There's a lot of stuff going on, and please don't don't misunderstand me. I do understand that there's a lot of violence on both sides. There are a lot of stuff that has happened that is making people very angry. You know, f- five demands, w- not one less, or something like that. I understand as I'm reading up and I'm trying to, but I'm going to tell you this. Like, you got to be a fool to be wandering around and say, hey, why isn't the train running? And just walk in and then you get beat up. Unless you're purposely going in there to try to cause something. I don't think that's very wise. You can go there and pray and, and stand for what you believe in. But I'm, what I'm trying to say is this, what you, what your family and your friends see on the news and what you see right here, it'll be, it's totally different. At least can I get an amen to that? I'm not saying that it's not violent because it is. (coughs) And things happen where some of the protests was close to where we lived. And then you see some of the pictures like, hey, that's that's the turnabout right there. And you're like, that's where we live. You know, I mean, the reality is there. But my point is this. What people see happening in Hong Kong through the news, both good and bad, is sometimes not the reality of what we experience on a daily basis. Are you with me? So some of you are like, mom, it's okay. No, no, I'm fine. Call me every one hour, okay? And I'm like, oh my God, mom. Chill. It's okay. I, and that's what I'm trying to say here. When you think about this, like this alarm and this, this fear that comes about is because you're focused on certain things. And he, he, here is here are these 12. Two of them says, we can do it. 10 says, you know what? They're too big. And you, remember those guys? The Anak, they're from the, you know, mm-mm. No way, we're not going to do this. Now we see this clear contrast between Caleb and the spies and the rest of the Israelite people. I think this is interesting because Caleb tries to reassure the people that possessing the land is possible, even in the midst of all the circumstances. Then in verse 32, the other ten convinced the people, that it cannot be done, and they began to spread a bad report. Everything that Caleb tried to encourage the people with, we noticed that other spies gave a complete different perspective and counter-argument. Listen, with each misrepresentation, the hearts of the people were more fearful and unsure of what was promised to them. Wow, this is the part that amazes me, that no matter how how much the 10 people's assessments were a little bit off. Well, in the sense where it it is true, but they did not focus on God, that it could literally sway a majority of people. Can I just say this? Oftentimes when you try to do God's will, there will be a chorus of people that will try to convince you that you are making the wrong decision. And if you're trying to listen for a popular opinion, I'm going to tell you right now, you might be making the wrong choice. The amazing part of all this is that all these nations that were mentioned, that the spies mentioned, were the same names mentioned in Genesis chapter 15, verse 19 and 20. I'm not going to read it, but all the names that you see here that is listed in this passage are the same names that were listed in Genesis chapter 15, verse 19 and 20. Why is this important? Because when in Genesis chapter 15, when those names were mentioned, it was God who promised the victory to Abraham. So the question is, whose voice are you willing to listen to? In verse 33, we see the ten spies try to discourage the people by pessimistically describing the size and the strength of these uh, Nephilim people. They, They use this exaggeration to describe how the Israelite people appear like grasshoppers. Now, something that I'm a firm believer and please, this is not pop psychology. I think this is just human nature. You need to understand. We have to remember how we view ourselves sometimes fuel how other people view you. Let me say it again. How you view yourself is how other people view you. So, for instance, if you're secure and you are confident in what God has promised you and told you who you are, then normally you carry yourself with, with, I just call it the Christian swag. And they're just like, oh, you're just different. Because the way you view yourself, what God says about you, you believe it. Nothing will separate me from the love of God, that I am his beloved. When you believe that about yourself, that other people they'll see you, and they'll say, "Wow, this person is different." Think about it this way. Some of you who are sometimes very insecure, and you struggle with low self-esteem, you will have to come to the realization that other people, because you view yourself that way, that's what they view of you. That's what they see of you. Some of you are very awkward. You're just awkward. You're like, oh. And so when you're like that, other people look at you, they're awkward. I so said, Y'all gotta just chill. And then people say, like, Oh, that person's pretty chill. <laughs> Listen to this. The NIV says this. We saw the Nephilim there and the descendants of Anak come from Nephilim. We seem like grasshoppers. Read this. In our own eyes, and we look the same to them. How you look at yourself is how people will see you. And the Israelite people forgot who they were and who they had on their side. Exodus chapter 19, verse 4 through 6. You yourself have seen what I did in Egypt and how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenants, then out of all the nations, you will be my treasure possessions. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelite people. That's why I love what William Barclay said in his book, The Gospel of John. He says, so long as we judge ourselves by human comparisons, there is plenty of room for self-satisfaction and self-satisfaction kills faith. For faith is born of the sense of need, But when we compare ourselves with Jesus Christ and through Him with God, we are humbled to the dust. And then faith is born, for there is nothing left to do but to trust to the mercy of God. Some of us, it's so easy to compare ourselves with other people. Some of them are better than us. We're better than other people. And you've forgotten that you have to look to Christ. And that's where faith is born because you cannot do this on your own. You need God. It's interesting that a person who is Focus and they have their faith in God will always see the opportunities. But those people who are focused and have faith in themselves, they will always focus on the circumstances and see the obstacles. In closing, I think it's interesting that the next chapter, which we're not going to go into, we see how the people respond and the unthinkable happen. You, you can study it on your own later the people being so fearful because they focused on the wrong things and they did not have faith in God, they literally proposed the idea of going back to Egypt. Unthinkable. Do you know what happened in Egypt? You want to go back to that? They were so scared that they were willing and thinking about going back to slavery. They thought that was better than trusting in God. And I think this is many of us we desire to go back to our old lifestyle or not wanting to change because taking steps of faith is too hard. And I'm telling you right now, this is unthinkable. To go back the way you used to live before you met Christ. This is what happens when we start lacking faith in God. We get discontent, impatient, especially with God in our situation. How about us this morning? Are you swayed by popular opinion? Or are you submitted to God's will? I'm wondering if you've forgotten who you are in Christ. Are you willing to live by faith and trust in God? That's why this is simply the gospel message. We cannot produce or generate faith on our own. Because we are sinful by nature. That's why Christ had to come into this world and live the perfect life that you and I could not live. He died on the cross to become a sacrifice for us. That through that he had made an access, a way for us to go to heaven. And now the faith that we have, that's the work of God in us. Trusting in him, believing. And that's why whenever we do walk in faith, we magnify God to say, God, your wisdom, your ways are so much better. This is the gospel paradigm and this is how we ought to live our lives. That's why the one thing that I want to summarize all this is simply this. Although we can't see the evidence, we must trust God as our confidence. That even though we cannot see the evidence around us, this is where we have to trust in God as our confidence. Only in Him do we have this kind of confidence. Can I just give us a couple things to think about as we take, take the next steps? The first one is this. One of the ways to grow in faith is to perceive the situation. Look at what's going on and ask yourself, God, are you trying to teach me something? Is there something that you want to speak to me about? So something's going on at home. Something's going on at work, a conflict. When you ask yourself, God, what is it that you're trying to teach me? Or maybe your conflict with your roommate or something that's happening. What is it that God is trying to speak to you about? This is part of awareness, to perceive The situation, that's the first thing. Second thing is this, pray for faith. If faith is something that cannot be generated in our human will, then we have to pray for it and say, God, give me faith. Isn't that what Thomas prayed? Or he says, help me to see, I want to believe. And Jesus says, here, touch my hands. Pray for faith. God, I'm weak, I I need more of you. I need to focus on you. I need to have my faith set on you. So pray for that, especially for some of you who are in difficult situations. Lastly, is proactively step out in faith. So once you pray, then you, what, the, one of the things you got to do is you got to then do it. There's no easy solutions. You got to either step out or you're going to stand still and do nothing. And this is where being a part of a community is so helpful where people can encourage you to step out. I want to close with this uh, vignette that talks about, once again, the trust fault. And I think this describes so much of all of our lives, I believe, at one point or another. Some of you, this is where you are. I pray that it will be challenging you enough to think about, do I need these evidences before me to put my confidence in God and God alone? What am I focused on? Is it on God or is it on things around me that I do not see? Or is it your faith? Is your faith set on him Or is it set on other things? Let's watch this together and afterwards we'll come up. We'll pray and worship and close out. Come on, let's stand together. Please don't raise your hand. But how many of us, that just described our journey in our Christian walk. you have to first trust it's so scary but once we do it like wow this is awesome you see God work you see him answering your prayer you see him just performing miracles in your life that he provides for you in so many different ways and you're just so excited but I'm going to tell you right now God's not going to leave you there he's going to then say do something else And this time, you don't see things. And it's going to be mind-boggling. And you're saying, but, however, nevertheless. And I think this is where some of us are right now, where we're stuck. And he wants us to step out in faith. He wants us to trust in him. But we say, I don't want to. And I won't. I'm telling you right now that that decision will change the course of your trajectory. It's going to lead to a self-centered life. Sometime in the future, it's going to just implode. Because life is not to be meant to be led in a self-centered way. So what God is challenging us this morning is, without the evidence, even though you can't see things around you and the things before you can you still trust him so that he will be your confidence that is what pleases God that you believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him there's going to be some decisions some of you have to make in the coming weeks and months There's going to be trials and tribulations in some of your life that's coming up. There's going to be situations that will be out of your control. There's going to be things that will happen that doesn't make sense. The question is, will you trust Him? Do you believe that He is good? That He's sovereign? And that He's purposeful? And that He's for you, not against you? That He wants you to become more like Him? And I understand, you're not going to jump and leap right away. Well, I will challenge you is to first take the first step, the baby step. Start there. And then that baby step will be a a bigger step. You're gonna start walking. You're gonna start speed walking. You're gonna start sprinting. Because your eyes are focused on him and your faith is set on him. I pray that this will be true of us. Can we just bow our heads for a moment and let me just pray for us? some of you don't know we are taking communion this morning just to close out this series and also just to solidify what the cross means for us and why we can trust it so Father I just thank you right now for who you are you are the God who is sovereign and you have all things in your control and that you care for us and you love us That regardless of what we are facing right now, that you are bigger, that you are stronger, you are greater than all these things. Help us to believe. Help us to trust. Even though the evidence before us tells us another story, we want to trust you and make you our confidence. Come Holy Spirit, lead us in this time. Thank you for listening to the Harvest Mission Community Church Podcast. For more information, visit our website at hongkong.hmcc.net.